The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. We're in Revelation, and as, as I started this, I wanted to have people up here reading the scriptures as we go through it, and here's, here's the tricky part. I don't know who likes to read publicly. <laughs> and I'm like, who should I ask to read this week, or who should I ask? And, and so let me, I'm going to make it easier on myself. If, if you would like to bless the congregation and be a part of the services and read through the scripture that we are going to be teaching on that week, just let me know. I'd love to give you the scripture I'm teaching that week. You can be part of that reading through it. It says here in Revelation that as we read through it, there is a blessing. And so I want us to be fully engaged as the body, not just hearing Rob read it, but, but that we read it together. That's the point. We're doing it together, walking through his word. And so we are in Revelation today, chapter, uh, well, we're with the seals, chapter 6. But I want to start in a different place before we get there. We're about to get through chapter 6 through 18. We're going to, not all today, but this is where we are. And man, it, I was just reading with my kids this, I guess it was a couple days ago, just reading the scripture, just reading Revelation, starting in 6 and talking about the seals and we're just going and we get to the trumpets and then we keep going and we get to the bulls and you're just reading all that God's doing and the, and the judgment that he's bringing. And, and there's this part where you, I hope you would do this, but you should be stirred that people are groping in darkness and God is trying to get their attention. He's turning up the heat and he's saying, return, repent, come and be saved. And you see this judgment being poured out and it just... I'm like trying to read at the table and I'm like, and, and the, the, the lamb, <sighs> you know, you know, and it's like, there's just, you just see what God's doing and you should be stirred saying, people need to know. They need to know. We like to divide people into all kinds of groups. I mean, just turn on the news and you'll hear all kinds of things that people fall into. They're either this or they're that. They're this group or that group. And, and like we do it ad nauseum in our culture. God does it too, and his grouping is the most important. It's the most significant. And there's only two people that God groups us into, two groups that he puts people into. Those who know him are his, and they redeem the church. And those who don't know him. Those who are apart from him. And our world going back to what was shared in the worship time, likes to bicker about God, likes to complain and look at the things and say, that's not fair, or that's not just, or God isn't like that. I don't like that Jesus that you preach. I like Jesus when he's like this. And, and, and they, they have all these things that they think about God, and, and they don't like being told that there's only two types of people, those that are either lovers of God or those that are lovers of self. And that's really what it is. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It says, But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, kids, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So Paul writes about people in these last days, and he says they're, they're lovers of self, and he gives us this list. I know I make light of the disobedient to parents, but it, it just, it's, he's highlighting the human heart, the human condition, what sin has done. Like All people are wrecked, from the youngest to the oldest. Like they're all wrecked because of sin. And, and so we get to this part of Revelation, and people read it, and they say, I don't like God here. I don't like this. This judgment, this wrath, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. It's absolutely right. It's absolutely righteous and holy because God is pouring out wrath on sin, on the rebellion. He, he, he's told us that there is an escape through his son, Christ Jesus, and he's made a way for all people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue to come and be redeemed through the son. He says, if you do not, then judgment on sin comes. And so there's only two types of people. And so when people say, I don't like this or that doesn't seem fair, we have to understand the human condition. We have to understand what the scriptures say about us. And if we believe the scriptures, then, then this is true. It's true whether you believe it or not, but the point is we have to come to grips with this. As, as believers and followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, when someone says, well, I don't like that or whatever, we say, but this is what God has said. This is true. We submit to it. We follow him. We We listen to him. Look at James chapter 4, verse 2. It says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. That's the human condition. Again, like this is is normal humanity. This is is normal. You say, Well, we like to we like to play the game, don't we? Like, well, let's Let's just kind of break it out. It's, well, it's not really that. It's a little bit, it's not that bad. And we justify things. We justify sin. We, we look at it. We try to downplay it. No, no, no. This is our heart that is sin-filled. It desires. It covets. It murders. It fights. It quarrels. James just points to selfish desires. Our hearts are naturally fallen due to sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22 For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. There it is. Like in Adam, we're all fallen. But in Christ, we can all live. So God has made a great escape for us through Jesus that we can all experience a a resurrection, a new life, a new birth. But in Adam, without Christ, in Adam, we all die. We're all in sin. Now, going back to our passage, it said in 2 Timothy that they may look religious, they may have a form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3, 5. Their religious practice may look like it's in line with things, but... A fallen heart makes a mockery of God by playing religion. It looks good. In fact, it looks like Matthew 23, 27. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. The fallen man who wants to make his way to God, not, not ask for God's mercy, not ask for God to reach down and pull him up by the blood of Jesus Christ, but says, I can do it. I can make my way. I can be righteous. I can do these things. I will read the Bible. I will teach. I will do these things. Look how good I am. They become this. Pharisees, hypocrites. They're, they look beautiful on the outside. They have a sense of religion, and inside they're still dead. They haven't been born again. They haven't been transformed. What they need, they need is a new heart. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Did I give you that one? I think I did. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Here is the great shepherd. He says, I will transform you. I'll take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what man needs. That's what they need. They need to be regenerated. They need to be made new in Christ. So what may seem right to the world in the end leads to death, Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. So there's, there's all kinds of ways. If you look out in our culture today, it's like, how do I get to heaven? Or what is good? Or what is righteousness? Or what religion should I follow? Or what people are, are preaching right spirituality? And like, how do I appease God? Or how do I become God? Or what? Like all those kinds of questions that people ask. They, there's a way that seems right. Man says, oh, it's like this. Or no, it's like this. And, and they have all their different schemes and ways to find God and to be made right. But in the end, it's death. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the way. I am the way. Jesus, the Son of God, is the way. He's the truth, and he's the life. It's a bold claim by our Savior. Only through him, only through him can we have new life. And he transforms those who come to him. Look at Psalm 116.1. Did I give you that one? Yeah. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. When we come crying out in repentance and have pleas of mercy, saying, Lord, forgive me, a sinner, he forgives us. He, he takes our sin and he takes the wrath for it. And he gives us new hearts of flesh that live for God. And the psalmist, David says, I love God because he hears my voice and my pleas for mercy. That, that heart of repentance, that, that crying out, save me, Lord. God hears it. And in that moment, he saves. He saves. And so we see coming to Revelation 6 through 18, some really hard stuff. We're going to see some really hard stuff. But it is good. It is right. God is just. But also, as we go through 6 through 18, where there is wrath, there's also a call to repentance. As he turns up the heat, there is times where he's calling people to to see him, to turn towards him, to recognize him. 
to repent and, and not follow the Antichrist and the beast and, and not to worship him, but to come and worship the true living God. He's calling them in these end times to, to be made new. So while it's hard to read about judgment, there's grace and mercy in the midst of justice and wrath. So as we get here, we get to chapter 6. We're getting ready to see the Lamb open the scrolls. So in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, we read, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So the Father sitting on the throne has the scroll. It's sealed with seven seals. And the angel cries out, Who can take the scroll? And no one in heaven is found. Until verse 6, we read this. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The lamb, Jesus, is the one who can take the scroll. So where are we? We are in this, going through this timeline we have gone through the churches, and then we saw online, you can get the, the whole diagram, but we went through the church age, we went through the seven churches, and we said at the end of the last church there of Philadelphia and Laodicea, I said there was a split, like they're going at the same time, there's a split, and there could be a rapture at that moment, at the end of that church age. There could also be another time that's more mid-trib or, or mid-wrath or pre-wrath. So there's some areas where it's like, where does that rapture really happen? So I'm saying that I personally think it's more there at the end of the church age, but I'll show you when we get in where that other one could be. So at that rapture, then we start into this tribulation time period. And that's where we are. The lamb is about to open the scroll and judgments are about to be poured out. We're starting the tribulation. When we get to the bold judgments, that's what's known as the, the great tribulation. That's the second half of the seven-year period. And so when people say the great tribulation, they're talking about when the bowls are being poured out or the vials of God's wrath being poured out. So that's where we are. We're in this tribulation. It's getting ready. It's, it's, it's amping up. So this is what we read. Chapter 6, uh, follow along with me. I'll read it and then... We're just going to move through it. It's not going to take a long time. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do no harm to the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. 
And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? That's, that's pretty amazing to read through. I mean, just thinking about what's happening, each of those judgments that are happening, and then the, the crying out of the saints, like we see God working. The first, first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, you may have heard about that. I mean, that gets a lot of that idea of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It, it, it trends in culture. If you don't believe me, who are the four horsemen of the WWF? They're called the four horsemen. Anybody watch wrestling that old, like back in the 80s? Come on. Ric Flair, Ole and Arn Anderson, and uh, Blanchard. I don't want to say Jeff or Jake or something, but it, the, the four horsemen of the WWF. You don't remember that? Thank you. I appreciate you. Not only that, I mean, we see New World Order. We see all kinds of stuff. It, it, it goes through, like, apocalyptic themes go through our culture. Our culture, like, we're enamored with this stuff. We're like, oh, what's that going to and, and we think about these things. And we throw labels around. But these horsemen, these are truly awesome judgments. The first one in verses 1 and 2, he says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So a white horse comes out. Now some have said this, this looks like Jesus, but it's not Jesus. We won't see Jesus till 19. In fact, this one is not the, the conquering 
uh, Savior, but he looks like one. He looks like a Messiah. He's, he's coming on the white horse. He's coming, and it says he's conquering. But notice he has a bow with no arrows. So he's coming, bringing peace and safety. What will they say in the last days? Peace and safety, peace and safety. He comes to bring everyone together, to bring a great uh, uh, gathering of people, to, to bring peace among the nations. But as he's doing that, he's actually conquering. So he's going out, and when, under this guise of peace, he is conquering. This crown he wears is not a diadem. It's not a ruler's crown. It's a Stephanos crown. It's a, it's a momentary. It's like what you would win if you ran in the, the early, early Olympics in, in, in Greece. Like they would get the crown, the wreath that would fade away. They had the victor's crown. They won the event. He comes with this crown for a season, he will be victorious over the nations. He will bring them under his rule. He will conquer them under this guise of peace. So who does he look like? He, well, he looks like the Antichrist. Can I say, in, as a matter of fact, like this is the Antichrist? I think it makes a pretty strong argument as you study that, yeah, it is the Antichrist, but I don't know for sure. But we do know that many will be deceived by him. Many are going to come under his authority. Many will be conquered by him, this white horse. And here's the thing. When God starts the judgment, as we think about the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist, it's a a pretty good argument that that's who this is. Take a step back for a minute. Here's the world We hit the tribulation time period. Jesus opens the scroll, breaks the seal. And the first judgment he brings on the earth is that he gives the earth the Antichrist. Now, I don't know about you. That To me, that's like, like, just got to sit with that for a while. Like, here's God working, bringing all things to an end. And he says, this man has been raised up for this purpose. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of what we kind of see what happens in Egypt. So in the Old Testament, God spoke to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to make, people aren't even going to be able to count your descendants. They're going to be so great, and you're going to have all of this happen, this promise I give to you. In Genesis, though, as he's giving Abraham this promise, he says to him, oh, by the way, your descendants are going to go down into captivity. They're going to be captured by a, by a government. They're going to be in captivity for 100 years. And then I'm going to hear their cries. I'm going to come out, and I'm going to deliver them with signs and wonders. I'm going to bring them out and deliver them. There's this picture of what God does in the exodus of what he's doing in the end. Like the Antichrist comes in, and he's much like Pharaoh of Egypt. He comes in, and he will conquer not just a small region and not just the chosen people. He will conquer the world. He will pull it in, and God is going to deliver out of that, through signs and wonders and judgment, a people for himself. It is an amazing thing. God does this over and over in Scripture. We see these foreshadowings in history. He says, remember when I did this, and he points to a future time of when he will do something even greater. So he gives the white horse, this, this symbolic man of government, to come and conquer and have everyone under him. Verse 3 and 4, it says, When he opened the second seal, 
I heard the second living creature say, come, and, and out came another horse, bright red, and it, was the, and it was permitted to take peace from the earth, and so people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So this horse comes and causes great terror. He actually comes and brings upheaval and war and, and people turning brother against brother, killing one another. There's, there's great bloodshed. And it's unleashed on the world. Verses 5 and 6, Jesus opens another seal. And so he says here, and I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four, whoop, let me read from up here. My eyes are not doing well here. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. So you now have the black horse coming out. And in this now, after you have this terror from the red horse and the bloodshed and all that is happening, now we're, we, we see economic collapse and famine. And it says a quart of wheat... Well, a quart of wheat is what you need to make a loaf of bread. This is a quart of wheat for a denarius. Well, a denarius is a day's wage. So can you imagine spending 200 bucks for a loaf of bread? You work all day, and to put bread on the table, it costs you a couple hundred dollars. That's what he's saying. Like, if we're taking the equivalent to, to now, like a quart of wheat for a denarius, it's it's. A day's wage just for bread. So it's going to cost the average person just to live, just to get by, to have the basics a a lot. There's going to be famine and there's going to be an economic downturn. But then he says something interesting. He says, don't harm the oil and the wine. Do no harm for the oil and the wine. Now, where I, I think this points us to is that he's saying that those who are in power and the wealthy and those who have put themselves in this position with the, with the white horse rider, with the Antichrist, with the ruling governments, with those who are working at the bigger stage, they're not going to be hurt. <laughs> it's going to be a lot like Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake. <laughs> I'm fine. I got everything I need. I know they're suffering. Let, just, let them have whatever, you know. It's going to be that, the oil and the wine. It's those who have are not going to be affected in this great way, but the vast majority of the world is going to be thrown into the state of not having enough and, and struggling, but those at the top will, will not be harmed. Well, then we see verse 7 and 8. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the, the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed with him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And so as we're looking at this one, the pale horse, well, in the Greek, it actually is a pale green. It's a sickly horse. So that that idea that we get, you know, the Mr. Yuck stickers, they still give those out in school? I don't know. Mr. Yuck stickers, a little green, unhappy face, like, eh, you know. It's like that, that green, 
pale, like, man, you don't look too good. Like, yeah, pale green horse coming out, and death rides this horse. And he comes, and he strikes the earth with, with this pestilence, with sickness. And it says here that a quarter of the earth will be affected by them. It says, over a fourth of the earth was given to these four riders to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts. Ain't that something? How many wild animal attacks have we seen in the news lately? Now, I'm not saying we're at this seal, but it just seems like this is weird stuff. And yet, we see that God's saying, no, it's going to be much worse. It's going to be much, much worse during this time. A quarter of the earth. So let's just round up. Eight billion, and a quarter of it's wiped out by this. Two billion people. Two billion. Two billion people go to hell. Think about that. Two billion people have the wrath of the Lamb inflicted on them through these four horsemen. And they, they don't have salvation. They go to their death and they go to their judgment. I mean, that's heavy. I mean, what what of my generations, of my family, of my household, of those who are connected to just me that I know? How many of them, if, if the Lord were to rapture his church today, would go into that tribulation? And how many of them would start suffering under this? How many of them would be lost? How many of them don't know because I haven't said yes to sharing Jesus with them? Like, Jesus is turning up the heat and he's saying, hey, I'm here, I'm real. Look at, look at heaven. This God of the Christians is real, and I'm bringing judgment. I'm bringing judgment on sin. Well, we get to verse 9 through 11. We get this testimony. It says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. So here you have those who are killed for their faith and their testimony. They are not worshiping the beast. They are not taking the mark. Revelation 13 gives us this it picture. It says, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. So this is the, the second beast. And so he's, he's propping up the Antichrist and giving, making an image in the, in the temple. He was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And so what we see in Revelation 13, what we're seeing here in this, 
seal that's being broken, those who are not falling into this, they're coming to Christ. They're hearing the gospel. They're, they're receiving Jesus in the tribulation, and they have been slain because they hold to the testimony. They said, no, I'm not going to do those things. Like, this is true. This God is real. He is there. And so people are like, we're done with you. And they lose their life for not worshiping the beast and not receiving the mark. Now, again, this, these are not the church. These are tribulation saints. The church would be raptured out before this. But they are the ones who have come in this time of the tribulation to, to salvation in Christ. So in the midst of judgment, there's, there's mercy. Verses 12 through 14, we read this. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. And the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. What hymn do we sing where we say, and the sky will be rolled like a scroll? It's a favorite hymn. It is well. How great thou art, right? In that moment. We're talking about that scene, everybody. <laughs> like, in this moment, the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. And we're like, yes, praise Jesus. And we're like, but this is what's happening. Like, God is working. And yes, praise Jesus, because our soul is secure. It is well with our soul. Because judgment is right, and the Lamb who judges is righteous, and he is right for doing so. We see that all throughout Revelation. As we go through this, there will be scenes in heaven where they say to the Lord, it is right that you're bringing this judgment. It is right that you're doing this. This is the right response to sin. Like he is praised for it. We shake our fists at it. Heaven worships. But here we are. We see this moment. He opens this scroll and, and we see nature and the force of nature come unleashed. Earthquakes, volcanoes, meteor showers, asteroids, tsunamis. You know, when earthquakes in the ocean go, the tsunamis that would come off of those. And the moon turning red. I don't think he's talking about a blood moon. Now, you may be in that. And, and blood moons happen, and I think those have their place when we're talking about different things about Israel and seasons and all that kind of calendar. But here's something that I, I learned just recently. The moon is rusting. Did you know that? NASA wrote a paper on it. They don't understand it, but the moon is rusting. You can go online and say, is the moon rusting and turning red? And you'll see a paper written by NASA scientists saying, we don't understand why this is. It has to do with something with with water in, the, in space and that, but the conditions for, for the moon are nothing like the conditions there at Mars, and they shouldn't be turning red, but it's turning red, and they have pictures, and, they're, and gradually the moon is starting to turn blood red. In those last days, the moon will be turned red. I think God's just giving us signs in heavens too. He's like, hey, listen, it's coming. It's getting closer. And this day, the moon will turn red. Are you ready? You know, are, have you been preaching Jesus to those? So if they said no to you today and we were taken out, they would be like, ooh, I better say yes to Jesus now. <laughs> like, have we been doing what we should be doing? 
just think about earthquakes and, and just the tremendous power of earthquakes and what they do. I mean, okay, how many of you remember Mount St. Helens? Okay, so that's the nearest one. Okay, I was three. This is for frame of reference. I remember seeing pictures and stuff like that. I was a little guy, three years old when that happened, 1980. So I just gave you my, when I was born. Um, it has the largest known landslide in the world happened at Mount St. Helens. When, when it, it erupted and the face of the mountain slid, that's the largest landslide that's happened in the world. And it, it was talking about how 11 states had ash just from that volcano settling on it. it talked about how that in certain parts of Washington, the sun was completely blocked out and it just became like night. That's a little volcano on the scale of how many mighty volcanic eruptions has this world faced. This is one that we kind of know. It's in our backyard, right? And this is huge and powerful and transforming. And God's going to unleash even more than that when, when nature is let loose at that scroll. Verse 15 and 16 bring us to the end. It says this, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You have the last part of the verse? Okay. And the wrath of the Lamb for the great... 17, sorry, I only gave through 16. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Okay. This is important. They recognize who's bringing judgment. Do you notice that? It's he who sits on the throne in the wrath of the Lamb. They recognize God is working. God is bringing judgment against sin, and it's coming against mankind. And what is their response? What is their response? What do they do? What do they do? Shout it out. Come on. Huh? They hide. God is getting their attention, and they hide from him. And we sit here and think, oh, why in the world would they do that? Like, you'd be like, oh, great are you, Lord. I'm going to turn. I'm going to repent. But no, they hide. And let me tell you, that is the heart of of sinful man. That's where man's heart's inclined. Not to repent, not to be humbled, but to hide. Adam hid from God, Genesis 3.8. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Jeremiah talks about his people trying to hide, and, 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 and they wanted to conceal themselves and and. Chapter 23, verse 24, it says, Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? First Chronicles, chapter 21, uh, David's told to build an altar on a threshing floor, build a, a, a place of worship, and there's others standing there. It says, And now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, so David went up at Gad's word, which 
He had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now, Ornan was threshing wheat. He heard, he turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves as David came to Ornan. So here, they just even see a working of God. They see it, they're like, we got to get out of here. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on with David, but I don't want to be near that. Like, they hide themselves. What is man's inclination is to hide But God is patient. Even in wrath, God cares for mankind. He has grace for mankind. He extends salvation even in the midst of wrath. 2 Peter 3.9 says this. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What's God's heart? That they would turn. They would be saved. They would come back. What's their response? To hide. What's your response to the Lord? Some of you are like, well, I I received Jesus. I'm good. No. Do you still walk in the old ways, in the old man, in the old pattern of sin? You've been made new if you have Christ. And you're to live in the new man, in new ways. You're supposed to live in the righteousness of God, by the word of God. And that means we don't hide we, we come and we say, Lord, here I am, and, and transform me, change me, root out these things and put new things in place. What do we do as Christians? We hide. Let's, let's be honest for just two seconds. Like when God starts working in our lives and there's those points that kind of, there's tension and it's rubbing against, the natural inclination is to go back to the old ways, to the dead man's habit of living and hide. Are you hiding today? If you haven't received Christ, quit hiding. Come and receive Christ. Come and and be saved. But brothers and sisters, we need to say yes to the Lord and quit hiding. We need to walk in delight as he is the light. We need to come and be with the Lord. We see in the midst of judgment great mercy for us. For sinners, we see in the midst of this that God is still calling people to himself. And today, even today, he is calling. And church, he's calling us to not hide, but to walk in the light. So see all that he's doing and determine today that we are going to be the light with Christ and share this message, share this good news, that people should see that God is coming And he's bringing wrath against sin, but he's also made a great salvation. Will you pray with me? Worship team, will you come on up? And if you would like prayer, there's a couple of us that have a prayer lanyard. We'll be up here during the singing, but afterwards as well, we'll be up front. But let us us sing and and worship as we close. Will you stand uh, and, and pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for the revelation that you've given to us. And we're trying to understand it and walk in the truth of it. And God, we see that in the midst of of, of harsh wrath, there's grace, there's mercy. We see the heart of man. We see what sin has done. And we rejoice knowing that Revelation 19 is just down the road, that one day the Lamb will come riding the white horse, the true Messiah will come, and he will make all things right. 
So God, we come now and we say, here we are, your people. We don't want to hide. Transform us, change us. Those sins that so easily cling to us, those things that we hold on to, those patterns of brokenness, would you start rooting it out even today? Would we confess them? Bring us full healing. Bring us healing. Holy Spirit, give us power to overcome those things that have held us captive. If the Son sets us free, we will be free indeed. May we walk in freedom. So as we sing, may our hearts praise you and our minds praise you. And may we also come and say, Lord, may I walk in the light and no longer hide. In Jesus' name we ask this. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.